Mike Sider that. With Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour of Flames Talk underway. Yeah, it's Pike and Pat with you. Coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. And welcome to the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. The Flames kick off a three-game road trip, and they kick it off against the Arizona Coyotes on Wednesday. Takes them into Vegas and Colorado as well. And there's a guy on this road trip, Pike, by the way. Hi, Pike. First time this week. How are you? Hi, how you doing? Pike's in his AEW hoodie today. I like that. That's, it, it, uh, it's it's a uh, it's Wednesday. You know what that means? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Is that is that a, AEW night? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but that's good to know. You know, I still am a wrestling nerd. That just I just don't watch wrestling anymore. But I still enjoy the business and and I enjoy people talking about it. Um, the guy on this road trip who has a big opportunity because I think there is a massive opportunity ahead for Dennis Gilbert. I think that Dennis Gilbert is staring at himself right in the face at his first true audition to be a full-time NHLer. And that's not to say that he hasn't gotten chances to be in the NHL before because he has. He's played in Buffalo um, and, and sorry, he's played in uh, Chicago and he's played, uh, he's obviously played this year with the Calgary Flames. So it's, it's not like he hasn't had the opportunity to, he's from Buffalo, not from, uh, that's why I got confused. Uh, it's not like he hasn't had the opportunity to play in the NHL, but he's been a really good story this year. Michael Stone's on IR. I'm not expecting Stone back anytime soon. Um, I, I I think this is going to be one that keeps him out. I think that we're probably talking from from what you know the the, the scuttlebutt is. Seems like week to week is is a good way to classify it with Stone. So if Stone's going to be out for a little while, certainly beyond the trade deadline, I think you could probably say Gilbert's going to get a chance here at least for the next four or five games to be a regular in the top six. And so far, Piker, he's clearly been the guy who has been their best seven. He's you, you could argue been he's been guy. the seven since uh, the first 20, 25 games of the season. Yep. Since since they started calling Gilbert up regularly, that's he's the seven. He's been the guy. He's been playing over Connor Mackey, so he's, he's out, the seven. And he's outplayed Connor Mackey. He's, huh? he's been the better guy. As Daryl Sutter told me quite bluntly last week, he's like, to be perfectly honest, like he's been the best guy. You know what? What's allowed him to step in and and be effective? He's smart. He takes care of his details, and he's outplayed the other guys. And yeah. and he has. And so now they're down a regular member of their top six. It's Dennis Gilbert's time. And I just I wonder what happens if the trend continues. And we haven't really seen him get the opportunity to get that extended look. It's been three or four games and then out, or two or three games and back to the American League, or whatever the case may be. But if he continues to play really well, if he continues to do the things that he does well in his 11 to 14 minutes a night, I wonder, first of all, does that turn into a full-time NHL role for him? But I'm more interested, Pike, in how that could change Calgary's trade deadline approach when it comes to the type of defenseman that they might be going to look for and how that could change 
their off-season approach as well. Let's start. Yeah. Uh, your, your, your eyes lit up your, on the uh, off-season. Well, I think folks forget, you know, Dennis Gilbert, uh, you know, he, he was a free agent this past off-season. He signed a two-year deal with the Flames. And I think probably the sales pitch for him Float around opportunity because if you in in this in the fall if you looked at the flames death chart and this was you know before we we you know were under the impression that Shillington was out for a bit uh, but even even just you know heading into camp you had Yusuf Valimaki who was a question mark you had yeah. a bunch of guys on the farm system even even you know Connor Mackey was good in spurts last season but Connor Mackey basically made it as a seven and they have the ability after going through waivers to float Gilbert up and down. And he's done a great job. He's on, I think his, I believe his cap hit is a shade over league minimum or a shade under league minimum. Uh, league minimum this year is seven fifty. league minimum next year is seven seventy five. He signed a league minimum deal for two seasons. So his cap so he'll hit, be under league minimum next year. Yes. He'll he's be, he'll make about 12 grand to five, by the way. Yeah. So he'll be making like 12 grand at or under league minimum, which well, 12 and a half, if we're being, uh, this is true. Very accurate. Pike. But yeah, like for, if, two of us, if, if you can, if you can find someone like the, 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 the reason why so many people raved about Michael Stone's play last year and rightfully so he was excellent in his role, mm-hmm. but Michael Stone gave them really good minutes when they needed for league minimum this year, that, that crown is sort of passed over to Dennis Gilbert and he's still young. I think he hasn't turned 27 yet. Uh, so he has the ability to really put a stranglehold because if you look at the, the, the names on the flames depth chart on the blue line, I mean, you know, Michael Stone's uh, going to be a UFA again this year for the umpteenth time in the last five years. And who knows if he re-signed with the flames again, or if he, you know, does something else. Uh, Shillington until we get news about Shillington, that's going to be a question mark. Uh, Yusuf Alamaki's gone. Is it really a question mark on Shillington? I, I've just kind of resigned myself to the in, fact in, that he's in, not Unless someone back. tells me that he's, he's showing up, I'm going to assume he isn't. But these kind of things, it's a huge opportunity for Gilbert who can do a lot of things. And I think he's, you know, my bless his heart, my dad, when, you know, when he was coaching me in, in minor hockey, I started as a defenseman because, you know, I wasn't very good with the puck. And then because I wasn't very good with the puck, even when I was playing very low-level hockey as a defenseman, I stopped playing low-level hockey, and I do this now. But he always joked with me, if I don't notice you on the ice, you're doing a good job of the blue line. You know, sure, you you love to have guys who have that dynamism in their game. You know, Nikita Zadora has been very good this year at jumping into the rush and creating stuff. Hannafin's been like that. Anderson's been like that. They've, they've been blessed with a lot of guys who are able to jump in. Dennis Gilbert... As a depth guy, as a six seven guy, you never notice him, and then occasionally he makes a good play where he scores a goal or he has a fight. But you know the the list of negatives in his game, outside of I think what his first one or two games playing with Nick D. Simone when the Flames were very shorthanded and playing on the road, they were without Stone and Tana yeah, like they were they, they they were they were playing above their skis, but they hung in there. That's the nice way of putting it. They hung in there, but they didn't really impress. But the next time Gilbert got a chance to go in, and pretty much since then, every time he's come in, he's given them rock-solid minutes. In his role. In his role. And I think now he has the opportunity, depending on how how these games unfold, maybe his role expands a bit. Because, you know, Daryl Sutter, when Gilbert has been playing, basically rolls with five guys and Dennis Gilbert here now and then. But if they're going to get where they want to go in this road trip, especially three games and four nights in three different cities, you're going to need to use all your guys. And... If you're Dennis Gilbert and you're used to being, you know, playing a fairly substantial role in, in the AHL, regardless of what team you're on, he has an opportunity to sort of spread his wings a bit and sort of show his potential. And, you know, he's been he's one of those guys that be, because he's been so good in his role to this point, I think they have confidence in using him a bit more. 
I, and I, I wonder what that, you know, how that affects their off season planning. Um, you know, with Michael Stone being an unrestricted free agent, does does Gilbert work himself into the mix to start next year as one of the seven defensemen? Um, if if we're talking about, um, you know, because we don't expect Connor Mackey to be here next year. He's a he's a pending group six, and he will be group six. He, like he's not going to be able to yeah, get the games. There, in. There's no way he can play enough games. He'll be group six. So he will, and and I think it's fair to say that that. Connor Mackey will probably say thanks but no thanks and go elsewhere. Uh, I would imagine the Flames are very um, resigned to that and understand that he pro- might yeah. go look for another opportunity elsewhere. And and who knows? You know, that's, that can always change, but that would be my anticipation that Mackey's not back next year. So I just wonder if, if Gilbert's got the opportunity to not only put himself in a spot where he is riding on charters and staying in five stars for the rest of this year, but also can put himself in the spot where the expectations going into next year's training camp are, yeah, you know what? We we expect you to play and expect you to perform like you're an NHLer to start next year. And maybe that helps them make a decision or or changes their thought process on the potential of bringing Michael Stone back or what type of defenseman they might go chase elsewhere. And hell, Pike, it might change I don't know exactly where Brad Treliving is at for the trade deadline, but I do think it's fairly safe to say that, you know, just based on what I know, that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of back and forth or consternation right now Ooh, in work. terms of what direction he should take. It's like he knows his team is way below expectations. I think it's fair to say that he knows his team has not been very good this year compared to expectations. And so if he's looking at getting a defenseman, if Gilbert shows in the next three or four games that, hey, look, you know what? Night in, night out, he can continue to be a really solid third-pairing guy. Is it maybe maybe the type of defenseman he acquires before the deadline more like uh, an Oscar Fantenberg as opposed to a Luke Shen, right? Like yeah. more, more a guy that you'd be looking at as a seven as opposed to looking at as a six, especially because we, we don't know if Stone... It, it sounds like Stone's going to be a little longer term than some of the other blue line injuries we've yeah. seen this and, year. And, and all things being equal, do you want to go with a guy who can play both sides? Do you want to go with a guy who's you know still on the right side of 30, who will be making less than league men next year? I mean, there's a lot of things to go into it. And you know, I'll agree with you about the, the, the consternation, but I also think one of the things that are constantly doing is hand-wringing about it's not working, what's not working, why is it not working? But if you can evaluate... Dennis Gilbert now on the fly and he's working and he can be a guy who's part of a solution either this year or next year. That's a, that's a problem you've solved. That's a problem. That's, you know, there's only a finite amount of manpower and brain power and time and money that they can throw at things. And if you can solve problems on the fly, then you can, you don't have to spend that week of the draft figuring this out. You can spend that week of the draft figuring something else out. Well, and I know there have not been a ton of big time positives this year through 57 games, but if two of the positives that come out of it are you've kind of found some diamonds in the rough or as you use the term, as we were prepping for the show today, you use the term found money. If you can, if you can get a couple of found dollar bills or hundred dollar bills or what, you know what I'm saying? If you yeah. can find some money that you didn't expect and all of a sudden Dennis Gilbert and Walker do are a pair of undrafted guys, one that you signed as a free agent this year, one that you signed at a college. 
not a bad it's not a bad thing to have because I think yeah. I think Dewar's looking at a very similar opportunity, not maybe not quite as wide open an opportunity as what Gilbert's got because of the injury situation. But I, I think they'd love for Dewar to just step in and be like, no, you know what? Stop even thinking about sending me down this right side, fourth line. This is my spot. Yeah, and it's about finding a niche. Like, you know, I, I think one of the things they like about, you know, we'll, we'll, we've talked about him quite a bit uh, from time to time, Trevor Lewis. I love Trevor Lewis. They love Trevor Lewis because he can do a bunch of different things and he can kill penalties and he sort of found a nice little niche for himself. But he's 36. And so if they can find some guys who can sort of play a bit of a two-way role, play, you know, bring, bring a bit of speed and a bit of physicality to a group that occasionally lacks both of it. Yeah, do it. And, you know, you, you in a cap environment, Pat, you you know, you love it when your first rounders and your second rounders can hit and you can develop and bring them in. But everywhere else in your roster, you know, you still need to find fourth liners. You still need to find third pairing D. They have a backup goalie they got for a third round pick uh, that they didn't have to do much development on. He was pretty close to uh, to blossoming by the time they got him. Yep. I mean, the, from an asset management standpoint, wherever you can find guys that can contribute, as long as the price isn't crazy, you got to do it. And, you know, I think that'll be, that might be the theme of the next uh, eight or nine days. Uh, can they find people who can contribute this year, next year, in the future at a palatable price tag in terms of assets or in terms of cap hit? What, uh, when I, when I think of Dewar, I think of Garnet Hathaway. Yes. And I think of Josh Uris. Those, are, those Ryan, are the two guys that come to mind. Ryan Lomberg to a lesser extent for me too. But Ryan Lomberg was a bit more of a wrecking ball. Like, I don't think he had... And as, he never really... But he never really became a full-time NHLer with the Flames, right? He, he's he, become he a got, full-time NHLer now. He got NHLer cups now. of coffee. He got cups of coffee, but he showed enough of those cups of coffee to get uh, get demand. And, you know, same, like, Garnet Hathaway has never been more than a really good bottom six winger. But he's a really good bottom six winger. And... I'm sure, you know, in retrospect, I mean, at the time the Flames were bumping up against the salary cap and I don't think they could really afford to give Hathaway the money he ended up getting in Washington. But, ooh, man, if you could if you could figure out a way to to fit it, Garnet Hathaway and what he brought to the team into the salary structure, he he was excellent. And I mean, he signed a four times one and a half, which I don't think would have made a a ton of sense if you're the Flames. I'm with you on that on that front, and a little bit, a little bit less per year, or like a year, a, a year shorter, or maybe like a couple hundred thousand dollars less. Do it, but yeah, one, uh, but what you got one is four by one point five, four times one point five. Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a little bit hefty for a guy who who played the role he did. But one of my one of my favorite contracts is that one, that or Kelly Yarncroke's deal the, that he signed in Nashville, the six by two or something, seven by two, seven years, two million dollars per season, for, forever a flame, Kelly Yarncroke. Hey, one goal. It was a good goal though. It was an important goal for about. What, like 47 seconds or whatever it no, was? No, Pat. He scored that goal, and then nothing else happened in the game. All the TV feeds were lost, and then we don't talk about anything else. Fair, fair point. It's, uh, there's some, I don't remember. There's, right. some, there's don't... some things you don't talk about in polite company, Patrick. Yep. The, the number one rule is you don't talk about that. That's a fair point. Uh, big road trip that comes up now for Calgary, for sure. Um, but it kind of feels like whether it's this three-game road trip or... The stretch after that or an upcoming homestand or this week or that week or this month or like whatever stretch you want to point to or however you want to segment the rest of the season with 25 games to go kind of feels like they're all going to be crucial. It, it feels like 
This is as touch and go as the Flames have been in quite some time. Certainly at no point last season were they touch and go like they are right now with just over a quarter of the year remaining. They need to track down Minnesota or Edmonton or Seattle before the end of the year. There's a significant gap to make up. I think up. it's four, four, seven, and seven. Yeah. Seven on Edmonton with one fewer game played. Seven on Seattle with even games played. That's the Pacific Division situation. And then wild card, they're four out of a playoff spot right now with even games played on the Minnesota Wild, which... That was a bit of a sobering look at the standings on Tuesday night. When I went and I, uh, I was, I was emceeing an event for the Calgary Canucks and just kind of looking through the scores and late towards the night as, as it was wrapping up, I just went and looked at the final scores. I'm like, okay, Minnesota beats LA. So what does that mean? They're now at even games play. Just went and looked at that. Oh yeah, that's a four point that, gap. That, that was their game in hand. And they won it and they needed that one. All of a sudden it's. Now, granted, there's two head-to-heads against the Wild still, but they are in a more dire spot than and they have been in since since the bubble year, since yep. the 56-game I, season. I, I think Wes, uh, Wes Gilbertson pointed out this afternoon on Twitter, this morning on Twitter, this is the first time all year they've been four points out. Like, this is the this is as far as they've been all season. And, you know, they, they have those those pair of games. I think the, what the the Saturday night, the, the trade deadline is the, the third, the Friday, the Saturday the Flames play Minnesota, don't they? Yes, that's and right. Then, yep. uh, I think the, the, and then the following, I think Tuesday or Wednesday in Minnesota, the second half of back-to-back, I think they, they play in XL Energy Center as an aside. One of the most gorgeous facilities for sports good spot. ever plays. But yeah, they, they have to put themselves in a situation for those games to matter. And right now it's like, okay, you almost need to, uh, you almost are forced to have a productive next three games, next five games, because otherwise... You know, if uh, if things keep trending the way they are, those games might not matter as much as the Flames want them to. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And so, yes, the game against Arizona, very important. And they need to start winning those games against the uh, not-so-good teams in both conferences. I'm, Enough of the losses to Philadelphia. I'm, so I'm fascinated so. as to how the broadcast comes across on television from Mullet Arena. 4,600 seats. They've sold out every game, but it's also 4,600 seats. If you're not selling out 4,600 seats, I don't know what you're doing wrong. Yeah, that's, uh, look, cool, awesome. They're playing in a college rink, and it's like a college game, and people are chanting and throwing up and making out and all like, awesome. You know what? Really cool. You're playing in Tempe, and... Okay, but enough already. It's it's, n- it's basically the size of the wind. You know how the this is the National Hockey League. Enough. I I, I saw, I saw a, a a wide shot of the rink, and you know you've been to the Mark and McPhail Center at Windsport. Uh, you know it, that's international size ice. They only have you know the lower bowl of seats. They didn't build up a second bowl because they just didn't have the. I just think they didn't want to. Uh, but it's a gorgeous facility. Well, why would they? They were building it for college hockey. Yeah, but they have in the corner. They have a little a little concession stand in the corner. And I saw a, a, a wide shot of Mullet Arena this morning, and I'm like, oh goodness, it's that small. It is that small a facility. It's just it's like they took the Mark and McPhail Center and made a, a second deck of seats. And, I, it's just and that's the size of it. It's crazy to me the the things that the NHL will allow to to let that team stay in that market, a market that. You know what? Move them to wherever. And where's the? Is it Tempe that they're now dealing about the potential of getting a new arena? Is that where it is? There's a. Oh yeah. We'll. we'll what's the, where's you, the plebiscite? The it's in May. We'll, we can get it. What 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 city is it in? It's Tempe. Okay, it's Tempe. It's okay. Tempe. And uh, Patrick, we'll get down this rabbit hole in the future. But 
they're trying to finance the arena with bonds and bonds or something for arena finance can go sideways on you very quickly and potentially put uh, municipal services at risk depending on how the debt service for the bonds mm. is set up. I'm yeah. ner- I'm ner- I don't, I don't, the more I read about that structure, the less I like about it. But you know what? NHL's cool with him playing in front of 5,000 people. Sure. Fr- friends and family crowd every night. It just, it's, it's cool. Like, I get it. Like, the atmosphere is fun and it's different, but it's also, when you actually you could, think about it, you, it's embarrassing you, for the league. We're, we're, all, we're all multifaceted folks. We're allowed to think, A, the, the atmosphere is so cool and so, like, we, we always complain, folks who, especially folks who travel, who are traveling media, once you start going to a lot of different buildings, they're all they all feel the same with the exception of like the Saddle Dome and Madison Square Garden and Bell Center. But you know, I'd say eighty percent of the NHL rinks feel and look the same. It's like they took the same formula, changed the seat colors, and plunked it down in in a downtown area, or in the case of the Senators, far away from downtown. But you know, any arena that feels different is cool, and Mullet Arena feels different, and that's cool. It's also different in a way that makes things challenging to really make it a viable business long term. So hopefully they figure that out in a way that doesn't jeopardize the long term financial success of the city of Tempe. They're so concerned about their image and they're so concerned about the um, they're so concerned about how they're perceived on the outside. And yet they're cool with one of their teams playing in a minor like they're they're playing they're playing at the centrium and red deer or they're playing and that's not a knock on on the centrium at all the centrium is a great facility i love it great great spot to watch to watch junior hockey and a storied franchise in the red deer rebels it's not an nhl building and and yet they're they, they wouldn't they wouldn't be allowing the the flames to play uh in okotoks or or olds like they that, that but it's cool in arizona it just it, it it makes them look minor league, and for a league that's so concerned about their perception, this one place, like you know what, we can look we can look silly for this place, but nowhere else. They're they're they're, they're running out of municipalities in the greater Phoenix area anyway. to to go to. Uh, two things before we get to Jonathan Davis, our uh, Pacific Division insider. Number one, Vladar starts against Arizona. I think you have to consider Vladar playing against Vegas, even though it's the second half of a back-to-back, depending on how he plays against the Coyotes. If Vladar wins and looks good, or if the Flames lose and Vladar is outstanding, I just think you got to consider going back to him right now. They need one of their two tenders to, in the final 25 games, however many of the games they play in the final 25, they need one of them to on merit earn, say, 15 or 16 of the final 25. And in those 15 or 16 of the final 25, they got to be 9-10. I don't care about their save percentage for the entire season. All you can look at is in the final 25, if Vladar or Markstrom can put themselves into the range of around 9-10 in however many starts they have between now and the end of the regular season, they give themselves a chance. If that doesn't happen, I'm not confident they give themselves a chance. With 25 left, they got what? Uh... They need to go with 18 or 17 of them to, to have a realistic chance of making it in. I don't know if they need to win that many. It, it all just kind of depends on Minnesota still is vulnerable to me. So I don't know if they need to play at a 750 clip to get in. They got to probably pay, they got to play five points better than Minnesota to get in, yeah. which I think, 
you're probably talking about if they've got 50 of a uh, 50 possible points, they probably need like 38 or something like that or yeah. 36, I don't something know. like that. Which yeah. would be, and which I guess would be 18 wins, but I throw in <laughs> Seven, 17, or 18. So damn, 17 or 18. They've got so many damn loser points that just keeps on. You know, if they if they're able to say win 14 of them and then throw in a couple of loser points and that that might help them as well. Yeah, and and I don't think they particularly care how they get them. I think now uh, if they have to win ugly for the next uh, two months, I think they're going to have to embrace that. Yeah. Uh, and just before uh, we wrap, before we bring in our Pacific Division insider, uh, a bit of a trade in the NHL today. And I am a big fan of what we have seen the Chicago Blackhawks do today. So here is the full deal that Chicago's pulled with the Ottawa Senators. Um, the Blackhawks have acquired Nikita Zaitsev, a second round pick this year, and a fourth round pick in 2026. Uh, so you're asking yourself, why Why are the Hawks doing that? Why are the Hawks adding a player uh, at the trade or at, before the trade deadline? Well, the reason is is because Ottawa wanted to get that Zaitsev deal off the books, which has $4.5 million still left on it when it comes to the cap hit for next season. So get rid of Zaitsev's money, get rid of that cap hit, give up a second and a fourth round pick. Chicago's happy to take on the money. Ooh. They don't care. And Ottawa gets future considerations. It's uh, the old, please take uh, our bad contract. We'll give you a sweetener and we'll take nothing back or we'll take future considerations. But, but, wink, wink. Between that and the, the, the Vegas, Arizona trade earlier on Wednesday, this has been a, a good day for very this creative decision-making. This is a good day for nerdy trades for, for, the nerds like Pike and myself, these are the days that you're like, oh, and if, if interesting. And if you're the Senators, the, you got some cap space to work with uh, this sum, right now and this summer. Uh, nice move. Somebody text in just before I get to the Vegas trade. Pat, I don't think they need to win at a 750 clip. Also, Pat, 38 of 50 points would be good, which is 760. Look, at my math is not my strong suit, especially on the fly math. I think that my 38 points was a little bit high in terms of what they need. I was just spitballing it off the top. I think more likely they need about 30. Where are they at right now? They're at 60, 63. 63. So if they can get 32 points, that I think gives them a chance. That would put them at 95, which yeah, I think it's, would. It's the drive to 95. I think 95 would get them in. So I'll back off on the 38 to that texter. Well done calling me out because my math is horrible. <laughs> I think 32 is a little bit more of a realistic. See, the, that the, could the, get them in. The problem is when we're doing math to figure out how many points they need to get in, it's usually when it's cold out and you're wearing shoes and socks, so you, you can't have your fingers and your toes available for counting. And this is, uh, they're just going to have to win a lot. That's, it. That's a good yeah. way to put it. Uh, the earlier trade was Vegas trading Shea Weber's contract, because uh, we believe Weber is done. Uh, so Weber's contract goes to Arizona, uh, so a fifth round pick and Weber's contract to Arizona and Dyson Mayo goes to Vegas. So the golden Knights are able to, uh, clear off some of the cap space that they had, which was important for them in the off season when LTIR doesn't exist. You're, you're, you're allowed to go over the cap by 10% in the off season, but they if you're, are, if you're already paying an insane amount of money to guys who aren't playing, uh, like Vegas is. It makes it difficult to do things in the off season. And Pat, you can, you know, it's a shame we're not uh, doing a, a video show because look at my surprised face that Kelly McCrimmon, the former owner and general manager of the Brandon Wheat Kings, acquired a Western League kid. Shocking. 
and also got rid of the Weber contract and helped them. One of the one of the premier salary cap manipulators, Kelly McCrimmon, sometimes to their detriment. Yeah, but that and, guy, that guy has found ways to work the cap better than most and, in the NHL. And I believe our friend uh, Arpan Basu uh, over at the Athletic tweeted about uh, the illustrious history of Arizona Coyotes players who have never played the Arizona Coyotes. Chris Pronger, um, Brian Pavel, Little, Pavel Datsuk. Pavel Datsuk. There's, you could, you could put together a pretty good hockey club full of guys that Arizona got and then didn't use and only <laughs> used for the salary floor. You could have a Hall of Fame team when you think about it. Did, 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 I forget, did Chris Pronger, is he is, is uh, the Coyotes mentioned on his in a Hall of Fame plaque or were they sort of glossed over that part of his career? I don't know. I don't did, when I forget Pronger's um I forget his induction speech. Did he mention his time with the Coyotes? It's so uh, memorable. They still have Lad on LTIR. Yeah. Good point by you. Uh Ryan Pike, Pat Steinberg. This hour of Flames Talk well underway. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. Visit DLBasementSystems.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. So, the stretch drive well underway in the Pacific Division. Nine days from the trade deadline. Let's break it all down. It's Wednesday. It's time to check in with our Pacific Division insider. Jonathan Davis joins us from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. And uh, lots to dive into, J.D. How we doing? You're doing great, Pat. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. And, uh, you know, Vegas already has made a trade nine days from the deadline. It wasn't necessarily the trade that we had uh, looked at, but they uh, continued to do their salary cap manipulation. And uh, we'll, we'll start with the Vegas Golden Knights, who we do expect to make a big splash or two before the March 3rd deadline. But they uh, they lose in a shootout. Looked like they lost in overtime. They don't. Then they end up losing in a shootout, so it didn't really matter. They end up losing to Chicago on Tuesday night. And, and a loss that you thought you, you kind of circled that loss as a scheduled one for the Golden Knights. You know, I did. I talked about it yesterday on, on my podcast, and uh, when I was on on with the boys at Beeson, and everyone was, they were like, everyone wanted to bet on Vegas, and I'm like, guys, take a look at what Vegas has after, you know, this game against Chicago. I mean, I, I just thought that their eyes are on what they got: Calgary, Colorado, they got uh, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Devils. I think it is. You know, I just thought that this was a flat spot for them, and that's the way they played. I mean, they 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 were lucky to get a point out of it, and it seemed like they were going to get two, you know, until. Tyler Johnson tied the game with, you know, with, uh, in, in the final minute. Um, so, yeah, it's concerning. I mean, I, I think, you know, as a, as a Knights fan, I think, you know, that's, those are, that's a point that you should not be giving away. But for me, I wasn't totally surprised, but it's still, it's still disappointing. And really, I wish the NHL would have found a way to count that goal, even though we all saw the green light go on. It's, uh, 
you know. And what about, by the way, Pat, I mean, what about Patrick Kane winding up from 20 feet away in, in the shootout? Like, seriously? That's just, that was rude, I thought. I love it. I think it's awesome. Like, the, the shootout, okay, first of all, I'm in the, uh, I think I'm in the vast minority when it comes to still being a fan of shootouts and still getting excited by them. I, I, I like a penalty shot, so if I can see a shootout, do I think that, do I think that it's important that they have reduced the importance of shootouts? Yes. And that they are like the last possible thing that determines a tiebreaker? Yes, I think that's good. And I'd even be in favor for more three-on-three overtime before getting to a shootout. But I still enjoy them. I like to see what happens. Oh, I, no, I, I, I'm I, still on the edge of my seat with them. And so when I see Kane do that, I'm like, okay, something a little different. No, I love the shootout. I have no problem with it. I just was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, I had a feeling he was going to do it. I didn't think he was going to wind up from, you know, just inside the hash marks. Yeah, and and <laughs> I just – show me that more often. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of you, – you, you mentioned it, kind of like a look-ahead game for the Vegas Golden Knights. And they, they've, got, they've got themselves a pretty difficult schedule up ahead for themselves. They do, and that's a good, you know, that's a good thing, you know, probably for the rest of the division that that it's not going to be, it's going to be potential tough sledding. I mean, you know, with, with these next five games, and so, you know, I think if you're Vegas, if you can find a way somehow to get yourself six points out of the next five games, it's not so bad at the end of the day, uh, because it is such, it is a, it's a real grind that they're going through, um, both home and on the road with these with these five games. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's go to Los Angeles, who started off a five-game road trip on Tuesday night, and they uh, opened it up with a loss to the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I, you know, again, a, a tough trip for, for L.A. as well. The, you know, after Minnesota, it's New Jersey, the Islanders, the Rangers, and the Jets. I mean, you know, that, that's no easy sledding for them as, as well. So it is, you know, it's another opportunity. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how L.A. responds uh, on this trip, uh, you know, I, I think that Pat, for me, the Kings, if they can play within their limitations, they've got a chance every night. And once if they get out of their limitations and, and try to be that run and gun team that they were early on, I, I don't think there's success there, despite the fact it's a team that can score, but they really have to be patient about doing it. Uh, they're going to have one back-to-back uh, dur- during this trip. So it's, okay. it is one start you would expect for Jonathan Quick which, you know, he hasn't won since December 1st. Uh, that's what, about nine games, I think, that in that span. So, you know, that, that's concerning. Um, you know, there's really, look, you know, Adrian Kempe has been, uh, for me, I think probably the big, one of the bigger surprises, and not just what he's doing on the ice, but Pat, there's not a guy, Mark Stone enjoys scoring goals more than anybody else. Up until maybe about two months ago, no one enjoyed scoring goals less than Adrian Kempe. <laughs> And now he is—he seems to be absolutely invigorated. Their, their power play has been, you know, been really good, for, you know, throughout this season, throughout the year. And I'm still waiting. You know, we're all waiting to see. You know, are are they going to be able to make a trade? You know, is is Chikrin a guy that that could land in L.A.? Uh, you know, I keep hearing that 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 dollars are getting in the way of making a deal. Um, so we'll we'll see. There, there's, you know. Look, we all know this division is wide open. Yes. And I just I have to believe that Rob Blake is going to try to do something uh, to help this team. But, you know, as we've talked about numerous times, 
they're limited by by the cap. Is it uh, if if they do end up doing something? Are you anticipating it being a big something? Well, I, you know, I, you know, Jacob Trickin would be a big something. I, yes, absolutely. Know, I just don't. You know, I just don't know where Jacob Chikrin fits. You know, this is where I'd be confused about what they're trying to do with this team because, you know, they just signed Mikey Anderson to an eight-year deal. That's, you know, that's Drew Doughty's running mate. Um, you know, for, you know, and, and as long as Drew's an L.A. King, I would think, you know, he's going to be that top-pairing guy with Mikey Anderson. And then, you know, they say that Brant Clark, you know, Elliot and Jeff have both reported that Brant Clark is a guy that L.A. will not move in a deal. Well, mm-hmm. if he's not going to move in a deal, that's ultimately is, is your, is your you know, your, your second pairing left shot uh, defenseman. And, you know, maybe I think, that, you know, that, that, that would tell me if they're bringing in Jacob Chikrin and they're keeping and they're not moving Brant Clark, then, then you're telling me that, that Brant Clark is still a couple of years away. I just don't know because, like, I, or I'm sorry, he's a right shot guy, uh, Brant Clark. It would just mean I'm just trying to figure out where all the pieces go if you bring Jacob Chikrin in and, and what that does, you know, to the rest of the pecking order uh, for these kids that are all waiting to, to break through, whether it's a, a Brand Clark or a Jordan Spence, who I think many of the people, many of the Kings players feel that guy should be on the roster right now. Did a really good job for the Kings in the playoffs, but not a spot for him. Um, so that's uh, the L.A. story as we move towards the deadline. It's Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division insider, joins us Wednesdays here on Flames Talk. Uh, you're expecting, as we look at Seattle holding down third in the Pacific right now, you're expecting maybe a, a smaller deal for the Kraken, right? Yeah, I don't think that, you know, look, they're, they're, they're ahead of where I think many thought they would be. And I think that's, you know, uh, you know, hate to be captain obvious here, but, you know, we didn't, no one expected them to be, you know, challenging for, for top spot. I, I, I don't see them. I don't see them, you know, now that, you know, with Horvat off the market, you know, unless something somehow came to them that was too good to pass up. I, I just think a cosmetic, you know, some sort of cosmetic move, you know, they're, they're really bad. I think they're 31st in the league and face off. So they could use themselves a center um, and it doesn't have to be someone, you know, a significant player but just something to add to this team. I think that that would, that would just help, I think, uh, you know, the spirits in that room potentially just to, to break things up. I mean, it, it's been kind of, you know, they're coming off a loss in San Jose. Like, that's, that's a loss. Yep. You, can't, yep. you can't have, You're, you know, no Meyer and no hurdle in the lineup, and you can't, you, know, you lose 4 nothing to, to San Jose. Yeah, that, that, that's a bad loss. And so I, I think that, you know, a deal would, would just kind of help that room uh, both, you know, I think just as much off the ice than on the ice back. Let's finish. I mean, schedule in... is really tough. Yeah, yeah. Go. What and what? Are, what are they looking at coming up? Yeah, and they've got Toronto, Boston. They've got you know Detroit, who you guys just saw. So that's three really nasty games, and then you get you know then you get the Blues, which that should be a win. And then look, Columbus. You know, we just saw what Columbus has done in their recent games, and and they're playing really hard. That's trade deadline day, but. You know, look, their next three games alone with Toronto, Boston, and, and Detroit, no easy pickings for Seattle. Let's finish with Edmonton. Um, nine days from the deadline. We all believe they're going to do something. What type of pressure is GM Ken Holland under here to make some sort of move? Well, uh, you know, I, get, I, I it depends who you talk to in Edmonton. Uh, if anyone got a chance to, to catch Bob Stoffer last night on the Oilers broadcast, uh, 
Bob was pretty adamant that Ken Holland needs to make and should be making a trade. And there's no excuses not to make something significant. Um, you talk to others and they're like, well, I just don't know how, you know, what can they really do? I, I, I think, you know, the biggest, the one thing that everybody's waiting for, Pat, is what happens with Puyarvi and why, why is Ken Holland, if nothing else, not waive him and, and be able to right. recognize the cap space that he so desperately needs. But, you know, I guess Ken feels that he's going to be able to make a deal. He can be a throw in a trade, I guess. But I, I just don't know how you continue. You, you just, you, you can't waste it. I, I'm on the side that, He's under pressure to make a deal, especially, as we said, how wide open things are in the division. And what do you do? I what you guys do. Why? Well, I, I, I don't know what you guys do. I don't know if they do anything, honestly, or if they do something well, I pretty minor. I would sell. I wouldn't be buying. I'd be selling. Yeah, and I don't. I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I guess the, the, last, yeah. the last thing about the Oilers would be, what do you do with Yesipul Yarvi? Is, is he with them beyond the trade deadline? Is he a guy that they look at with waivers? I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they do with Yarvi. If he's with them after the deadline, then shame on, shame on the general manager. Fair enough. Then, then I think that, that, that Ken Holland has not done his job. Because yep. that does, I, I that I, does I, seem like a guy that they could use as something to bring something else in, even if it's nothing, you know, even if it's not anything super but substantial. But even if you wave them, even if you wave them and you say, and you, and you get the cap space. For yeah. Them, I mean that they need it. They, they, it's so tough for them to make a deal otherwise. Yeah. And, and could absolutely so. help them pull the trigger on a deal. Um, Good stuff as always, JD. Appreciate it. I am fascinated to see what we're talking about in one week when we'll be two days from the trade deadline. Can't wait. That will be a lot of fun. All right, bud. Take care. Have a great night. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, It's Jonathan Davis. He is our NHL Network insider, our Pacific Division insider, and he joins us inside hockey on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk for Calgary Co-op. With new product families, member rewards, and sale events, you'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. As we start to wrap things up this hour, thank you to Ryan Pike. Thank you to Cam Hughes. Thank you to Taylor Dingman. My name is Pat Steinberg. This hour has been the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.